Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. I shared with some of you uh, recently, and then a few of you have asked, like, when is this going to find its way into a sermon? Today is the day, right? This is that moment. Uh, my family, we are officially dog owners, right? Officially dog I got a picture, uh, I think, I hope, here. Oh, wrong one, wrong one. We got another one. There we go. Look at there. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's my children in the back, um, just to clarify. And then here, uh, here in the front is Luna. And uh, Luna, right? So she joined us. Actually, some family members uh, were looking for a, a new home for her and uh, have graciously sort of extended us the opportunity to make Luna a part of our family, right? A part of our home. And, and she has brought us an incredible amount of joy. It's been like two months. My kids have, I hear it daily. They're like, we love Luna. She's the best present ever, right? One or the other of them will make some exclamation. We held out on a pet for a long time. And, uh, but, but this decision, I, I think, has been a really good one for us. Brought us a lot of joy, but she's also, uh, she has also uh, brought a lot of dirt into the, into the house, right? Uh, and, and I'll, you know, the, uh, you know, they told me up front, they're like, look, I know she's beautiful. She's a beautiful coat. She's lovely. She doesn't shed all these wonderful things. Right. Uh, but you know, there's a price to pay for that beautiful coat. She brings every loose piece of grass and dirt and leaf in your yard will find its way inside. I'm like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. But it turns out that's true. Right. Uh, very true. It finds its way into our house. And, and one thing I've discovered over, uh, these two months of, of pet ownership as an adult, right, is that regardless of how clean my house is, right, regardless of how tidy my space might be, uh, our house has never made her cleaner, right? She doesn't come in and the tidiness of my house sort of rub off on her and, uh, and make her cleaner. That transaction only ever goes one direction, right? O- only, only ever goes one direction, which raises the question, What's going on in the passage that Clint read for us this morning, right? You're wondering, right, what, what is going on, right? We're in a series in Haggai called God, in, and we're calling God in the Ruins. And it's this picture of, of God working life when, when the temple is in ruins, their lives are in ruins. We've seen sort of over the course of the last few weeks, they're trying to take care of themselves, and God is calling them to attend to his work, and that when they, when they put uh, his work at the center of their lives, these other spaces will, will uh, fall out differently, right? That, that in the midst of all of those ruins, we've bumped into the promise again and again, God telling them, look, I am with you, I'm with you. And we saw last week that he actually drew them out of sort of living their lives into building the temple again. So they've rolled up their sleeves, they're working, they are, uh, you know, they're doing it. And our reading this morning is a, is a significant moment. We get lots of dates and stuff, but what's happened here is they've completed the foundation of the temple. It's a moment worth celebrating. It's significant. And so naturally, God, through the prophet Haggai, speaks to them about priestly law, right? Says to them this, which Clint read for us, if someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches his fold, with his fold touches the bread or the stew or the wine or the oil or any kind of food, does it become holy, right? And you're thinking maybe, 
I'm thinking, I'll just confess, what? Right? What? What? What, what are you talking about? Particularly at this moment. Right, we've, we've left sort of doing our own thing. We're building the temple. We finished the foundation. What is this about sacred meat in the folds of my robe? And I want to suggest to you uh, that with this move, God speaks to uh, a space in our lives that uh, I think all of us are drawn. And it's if we just to sort of put it in language perhaps we would use, like we're all of us, we're all trying to make ourselves better. Or if, if I could nuance it, we're, we're all trying to become better versions of ourselves. I mean, this is, this is a path that is wide open to us in the world. Do what you can to become a better version of yourself. And I think with this opening illustration, Haggai, or God through Haggai, is, is sort of, he's going to nudge against that pull in your life. And mind, the first illustration is, is meat, sacred meat. An animal had been offered and sacrificed, and so there's some meat left over. They tuck it in their fold of their robe. There's all sorts of historical nuance. You can explore that later. I'll leave that to your imagination. But they tuck it in their robe and, and, you know, well, if my robe then touches other foods, do those foods now become sacred as well? It's a rhetorical question, the answer to which is no, right? No, no, that, that's not how it works. So he gives him that first illustration and then he says, or let's, let's take another example in this opening paragraph. Let's say you touch a dead body. It's really morbid stuff for the first, you know, spring forward Sunday morning. So I figured you'd be half asleep through most of it. I'd be okay. Uh, right? But so he says, let's say you touch a dead body, right? So again, Old Testament history and, you know, all sorts of impurity. It's unclean. It's unholy, right? There's this sort of status thing happening here. Let's say you touch that and then you go and, and you know, touch other things. Uh, well, what happens there? Does, do those things then become unclean? And what's the answer to that question? Yes. Right? So the kind of rhetorical question is like, yeah, you know, there's, this is laid out for us in the law, like that, that you sort of touch this defiled space and that kind of follows you into uh, all the other places that you go. And, and what's at the heart of this conversation uh, are, are questions of holiness, right? purity, words we don't much like in our culture, right? Like, uh, but if we could use other words, it might be like righteousness, or wholeness, right? We can, we can just reduce it way down to a word like goodness. And the point that he's making, right, is the point Luna is teaching me, that, that cleanliness is not contagious, but dirt, very much so, right? That, that cleanliness, my kids, right, my clean house, uh, the, my, the clean house doesn't rub off on my children. There, there's grimy handprints over all the walls at about four foot high that are evidence of, of that truth, right? That, that this, this movement only ever goes in one direction. Right? If we were going to use the churchy words for it, the sort of $10 theological words, holiness isn't contagious, but sin, sin is. So, so what's the implication here, right? I feel like there's a bit of an accusation uh, in this word from God through Haggai. Man, you know, you, you finished the foundation of the temple. That's exciting. You've moved from sort of only focused on building your life to, 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 to attending to where I may be at work. That's great. But he says, man, that there is a deeper sort of issue here, a root cause of concern. You think perhaps, right, that you can hear this, you can hear this conversation here. You think perhaps you've sort of cleaned things up. And I just, I, I, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, right? Got my life cleaned up. I'm, I'm getting the temple cleaned up. And, and you know, all, all is well. And God says, well, you know, that is great and commendable. But, 
but there, there is more sort of beneath the surface of your life. A deeper lying issue that, that in a sense is sort of contaminating or infecting sort of all the other spaces in your life. It's, it's a one direction movement. I really wanted to make a Harry Styles joke here, but I wasn't sure how well that would go over. So I'll reference it and see. And then if you laugh, I'll know. Well, okay, we'll keep going, right? But here's what I think, uh, here's, here's what I want to suggest if we, if we were to try to apply what I think the move in our reading this morning is, even with all this chat about, you know, meat and robes and uh, uh, dead bodies, right? You're like, what does this possibly have to do with me? Sunday morning in Overland Park, Kansas City. Uh, well, well, here's what I think, right? That this move to just make ourselves better, be better versions of ourselves. Haggai is, or God through Haggai is, is just hitting us in this truth that we are all scorekeepers. It's how we, it's how, it's how we roll, how we are prone to move through life. We're scorekeepers. You can hear it of the people in Haggai, like, look, we're, we're taking care of our lives. Yes, we're taking care of the temple, right? We're, they're just keeping tally marks. Look at the good things we're doing, right? This has to count for, for something. We're, we're, we're all scorekeepers. I think maybe in a like, grand way, if I, if I could be so bold as perhaps to suggest, perhaps some of us, you perhaps, have thought this way. We think this way. I think we're prone to it. Like, you know, I've done this, 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 and this, right? So in sort of, if God's a cosmic accountant out there somewhere, sort of keeping track of all that stuff, then clearly, God, these, these last few things, you know, like I've, I've made some deposits in my account that they have to sort of kind of help me with that kind of last unseemly withdrawal I made a few weeks ago, right? <laughs> like that thing I did that I'm not so proud of, what I've done since then, you know, these, these things. And so, I mean, we're just, we're tally marks, right? We, we're keeping a score sheet, I, th- I, think, I think we do it all the time. We do it in, in marriage, any relationship, right? And you know, scorekeeping, never a good idea, but we do it all the time, right? The, I think what he's suggesting here, when, you know, that it's one directional, that our, our, our tendency, the effects of, of sin and, and this move in our life, it'd be like, I'm not saying this has ever happened, but let's say I'm a jerk to my wife, right? I'm rude, right? Again, purely hypothetical, right? <laughs> Uh, but let's say, you know, I respond, and, and, and she challenges me on it, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, hey, 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 I was really sweet to you like the last three days. That has to make up, right, for, for how rude I am being to you. Now I'm, I'm scorekeeping, right? I'm just keeping tally marks. Or I do with my children. I, I, you know, if, even if we don't put it on ourselves, we, we put it on others. I'm embarrassed to admit, again, perhaps purely hypothetical, although by just admitting it's clear this is real, but I have said on more than one occasion when my child, perhaps, is one of them has given me grief or not appreciated something I've done for them. And I'm like, look, I did this for you today and this for you today and this for you today. You can give me a little appreciation, maybe a little less attitude here because I'm scorekeeping. So I'm, I'm wired to sort of move this way through the world. There is this pull in me to assert my own rightness, goodness, my own, my own righteousness. I, I heard somebody put it like this, that, that everybody's obsessed with holiness. Everybody. It's not a word we use, certainly not a word culture wants to use, but everybody's obsessed with, with, with establishing their own goodness. In a sense, if, if you will, we're all stuffing our coats with prime cuts of meat, right? Hoping it'll rub off and make everything else in our lives a little more sacred, to borrow the image from Haggai. 
hoping that it'll just spread. I mean, we're all, again, it's not language perhaps you like or our culture likes holiness or cleanliness or purity or sin. Maybe it all rings a little too religious for us, but it's a game we're all playing, all of us. I've referenced his work before, but an author by the name of David Zoll wrote a book a year or two ago, I think, called Seculosity. And it's been really helpful for me. It's really easy read if you want to check it out. But, uh, but he talks about, he, he kind of, the way he phrases this tendency in us is we want to say people are like less religious, right? Like we, we you know, the high on spirituality, low on religiosity, all those things. And, and, and he kind of pushes back and says, well, well, no, it's not that we're less religious. We just are, as a culture, more religious about lots of other things. Right, that, that, we, that we are, in a sense, trying to establish or prove our goodness in all sorts of other ways. Working tirelessly, keeping tallies, right? keeping score to say, look, look, this, this is evidence of my righteousness, to use again the theological word, in spaces like politics, career pursuits, relationships, fitness, food, parenting, you name it, right? Any sphere in which we we are kind of pulled into just, again, establishing our goodness. Wanting the direction to be, if I'm good here, right, it'll kind of grow and spread. We are fixated in a sense. You can see it in our fixation on on just improving uh, ourselves, which is a bit of what's happening in Haggai, right? We're taking care of our lives. We're building our homes. Now we're building the temple. Things are going, well, look, look at all the stuff that I'm doing. And God's word uh, to us and to them through Haggai is that all that effort, all of it, commendable, great, but it comes up short of the mark because it doesn't address the, the real problem in the hearts of his people then or, or now. And I think we see that move in the second half the second paragraph, really, of the reading this morning, right? We're trying to make ourselves better or become better versions of ourselves. But the promise in this passage is that (laughs) while we're trying to make ourselves better, God is offering to make us new, right? We're trying to just improve who we are. And God is saying, man, you are, the sin has worked its effect in your life down to the core. and, and, And I am here and offering in my grace to make you New. My presence with you, he says, makes you new. I think, I think again, like the way perhaps you and I enter that conversation is to think that gradually over time, we'll make enough good decisions. We'll certainly make some bad ones, but we'll make enough good sort of, we'll get enough good marks on the tally sheet, right? That we will move closer to holiness and moral improvements and all will be well, right? We'll, we'll make ourselves, we will make ourselves fit for God's presence. When actually, Haggai says, well, no, that will not happen. That's not the way it, it will work. We need help from the outside. We need, and as we'll see in Haggai, God's sort of demonstrative, decisive, and dramatic act on our behalf, his presence uh, with us. Let me, let me see if I can use another example uh, I, I'm going to borrow an illustration from golf, right? For those of you who play golf or you're familiar with it, if you don't, please don't check out. I think it applies to all of us. But you're familiar with the mulligan, 
right? Whether you play golf or no, anyone? Yes, the mulligan, right? You, you step up to the ball and you, and you hit it. I mean, things go sideways really quick if I'm stepping up, right? So then you're like, oh, not to fear. I'm an amateur. I'll take a mulligan, please, right? And so you, you just get, you get to do it again, right? You, you get a second shot, maybe a third, maybe a fourth, you know, right? And, 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 you know, it's a beautiful thing, right? And I think, right, we sort of take that approach into our relationship with God and the world in, in our sort of effort to establish our goodness. Man, I blew it that time, but, right, just give me a do-over. Who hasn't wanted a do-over? Who hasn't, who hasn't wanted a chance to then rectify some mistake we made in the past or some word we spoke that we regretted or, right, some move that we made that was, man, a tally in the wrong column. And we're like, ah, just let me do it over and get a few more marks in the right column. But here's the thing with mulligans, right? Here's the thing with mulligans. When I step up to the ball the second time, I bring the same bad habits, the same bad tendencies in my golf swing, the same things that caused me to ridiculously slice the ball the first time are all still present the second. I, 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 and that's it, I think, and the third and the fourth. I, I think we don't, we don't necessarily need a, a second chance in that moment. We need to be made new. We need a deeper work from the inside to be made new, which is what I think is remarkable about this passage, where it lands in particular. The last verse, right, verse 18 and 19. So we... God essentially marks this day on his calendar. You finished the temple foundation. Great. Marks it on his calendar. Since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, he says, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Again, the answer is no, right? Or still in the barn, rather. You haven't planted it, right? It's just, there's no, like, you haven't sown seeds, I guess. Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree, they haven't yielded anything, right? Nothing. But, he says, that doesn't change the truth that from this day on, I will bless I will bless you. And, and with this proclamation, right, uh, God is sort of going back to calling to mind things he's already told to, to, uh, to the people through Haggai. Things like, my, I am with you. My presence will be with you. My spirit will reside with you. Uh, last week, I, I will give you peace. I will fill this temple. Right? He's, he's pulling their attention back to the truth that the work is his and not ours, not yours, not mine. Here's what I want to suggest, again, that all this chat about holiness, sacred meat in the robe, right? All of this chat about cleanliness and the direction of its sort of movement in our lives, it's, it's not... Uh, this truth, right, that, that sinfulness is, is infectious and contagious, that it's the dirt and grime of our lives that, that tends to spread, that moves one directional. This is not to say that people, you or me, are just entirely bad. That's not true. God has created and made us good, but it is to say that there is no part of our lives that are not tinged with sin, that are not that are not tinged, right, with, with the pull to promote our own goodness, to, to prove that we are enough. Haggai says, rather God through Haggai in this moment says, ah, listen, it's not, it's not your goodness that makes the difference. It's mine. God says to you this morning, whatever you brought into the room or 
onto the virtual space, right? Uh, it's not your goodness that makes the difference. It's, it's mine. That we need the help. Right? That we need the help of the only one whose goodness was ever contagious. Right? The, the only one who, who could reach across lines of impurity and brokenness and, uh, <laughs> right? and sinfulness. And rather than become contaminated himself, could impart his righteousness and his goodness to us, his wholeness, right? We, we need help from the outside. We, we see this in the person of Jesus, right? When he, when he came and made his home with us, right? When he, when he reached out and uh, in the stories of the gospels touched lepers, right? these sort of quintessential pictures of uncleanness and Old Testament law and into the New Testament, ostracized on the outside, right? Talk about spreading defilement. And here Jesus is, is working, reversing the effects of, of that influence and reaches across and imparts his wholeness and his life. We see him do it with Lazarus, Right? <laughs> Uh, working life where all there would have been would have been defilement and death. And we see it, right? We see when he climbs on the cross and exchanges all of your brokenness and mine for his righteousness, his goodness. I, I think it's a, a moment in Haggai, this, this particular moment. Right, why is this significant? Why, why celebrate this? God says, from this day forward. What, what about this moment? Well, I think what's happening here is they're confessing. Like in finishing the foundation of the temple, there is this confession, this admission that what matters most, what matters most is God's presence with them, his goodness among them at work in them. It's, it's what Haggai is calling them to learn and what I think you and I are called to learn this morning as well, right? That, that it's not your goodness and all the tally sheets you keep, whatever that balance sheet might be like for you, that salvation doesn't rest on all of that effort that you expend, but, but rather, right, it, it comes from the one who offers us life out of, out of his goodness. I, uh... I want to take you back to Luna, right? If that's okay. I'm going to do it whether or not it's okay. So, uh, I'll, you know, it's been rainy. It's been a messy few days. My backyard holds water, right? There's mud coming in. I'm wondering if perhaps this sermon says more about me and perhaps my, uh, I don't know, pull towards tidiness is stronger than I care to admit, right? And maybe I should talk to someone about that. So we'll, we'll table that. Uh, but it's been a messy <laughs> few days, right? And, and Luna, again, you know, she's bringing in mud and all that stuff. And that's great because we love her. But I did notice uh, the girls, which uh, I got this picture here, right? I caught them trying to creatively solve this problem, right? Which uh, I think I have another a picture over here, right? Which you saw just a moment ago, right? So I believe these are from like a, a socks from a jumpy place or something. So they got tread on the bottom, so don't worry. She's not like sliding all over the house. We're taking care of her. She didn't seem too bothered by it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what they were doing besides having a bit of fun. But uh, I do think in, in the moment, like she came in with like the socks on, and I feel like uh, it was a moment of grace uh, from God uh, to, to me, as I've been sitting with, with Haggai uh, and, and the message this morning and in my own efforts to sort of assert my goodness and how I'm enough and how I measure up, uh, that, 
that all of that effort, all of that effort, all of the ways in which we try to become better versions of ourselves are as ridiculous as me putting socks on my dog to keep the house clean, right? It's short-sighted, maybe a little humorous, right? That it's perhaps a little sad, maybe humiliating for the pup, right? But that, that there is this pull in me uh, to just sort of establish my own goodness, and yet it never really addresses the real need, the real matter of the heart in my life, that dirt is contagious, holiness is not. And I think it's right there that God in his grace meets us in Agai this morning. And it's since inviting you and me to quit trying to cover up all the broken places of our lives with clean socks. To quit, to quit trying to sort of, you know, establish our own effort and goodness, you know, and, and all the places we're just trying to show we're enough to just, to just give up with the, with the clean laundry already and, and let that game go. That to people like you and me, spending all kinds of energy and effort to show that we're good, to prove that we're righteous, that we're enough as a mom, as a dad, as a spouse, in our career, in our friendships, all, all the spheres that we take this need to just become better and show that we're better, be better. We hear the gospel that it's not your goodness that matters. It's his. His God is the one who will work life, he tells Haggai here. That we don't, we don't need to be made better versions of ourselves, right? We need to be made new. And that is precisely what Jesus Christ has done for us. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.